The following message was given at Trinity Bible Church in Powell, Wyoming. I found my kids. Well, let's uh, continue to worship God. And we are looking at Proverbs 19:50 through 29 this afternoon. Uh, we have been in Proverbs for almost a year. It'll be a year in October, and we're already going to finish up chapter 19 this afternoon. So we've made it quite a ways, or that's about two thirds of the way through. And it's a book of collective wisdom. And a lot of times, it will repeat things, or it will state things in such a way where you have to consider each truth and on its own. Sometimes there's some loose themes, but sometimes you'll hear a truth, it'll go on to talk about something else, and then it'll repeat it, and that gets our attention. And so Proverbs is a, one of those books that's unique uh, in the Bible, but it does show us what it looks like to be wise and to walk in wisdom. And so it's a treasure. It's treasures from heaven as, as we've uh, Titled this series. Proverbs 19, verses 15 through 29. Let's hear now the word of God. Slothfulness casts into a deep sleep, and an idle person will suffer hunger. Whoever keeps the commandment keeps his life. He who despises his ways will die. Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his deed. Discipline your son, for there is hope. Do not set your heart. And putting him to death. A man of great wrath will pay the penalty, for if you deliver him, you will only have to do it again. Listen to advice and accept accept instruction that you may gain wisdom in the future. Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. What is desired in a man is steadfast love, and a poor man is better than a liar. The fear of the Lord leads to life, and whoever has it rests satisfied. He will not be visited by harm. The sluggard buries his hand in the dish and will not even bring it back to his mouth. Strike a scoffer, and the simple will learn prudence. Reprove a man of understanding, and he will gain knowledge. He who does violence to his mother and chase, or his father, and chases away his mother, is a son who brings shame and reproach. Cease to hear instruction, my son, and you will stray from the words of knowledge. Worthless witness mocks at justice, and the mouth of the wicked devours iniquity. Condemnation is ready for scoffers and beating for the back of fools. Well, this concludes the reading of God's word. May he once again be pleased to add his blessing to it. Well, we talk often about the primary motivation for obedience, and that, of course, is the love that Christ has for us, that Christ has given himself up for us, that we may live, that he bore hell on the cross for us so that we would not face hell and we would enjoy eternal life forever and ever. But there are also secondary motivations for obedience that the book of Proverbs focuses in on. These are mainly the consequences one will face 
if they live a certain way. For example, Proverbs 5-7 through urged against committing adultery because of the consequences. You're in your life. You'll be brought to shame. Uh, you'll make uh, the, the, this woman's husband angry. So whereas the main motivation is the love of God for us, the book of Proverbs brings out other secondary motivations. You're either going to be rewarded or you're going to regret it. You're going to have a headache in the morning if you do that. And so in our passage, we have several of those consequences to consider. There's five of them, five lessons in life and their consequences. And of course, we will bring this ultimately to Christ. But first is laziness. Verse 15 says, Slothfulness cast into a deep sleep, and an idle person will suffer hunger. So of course, this is speaking hyperbolically which means that it's not literally true, but it's, it's an understood exaggeration in order to emphasize a point. Uh, one's laziness does not literally make someone fall into a deep sleep. It's uh, listening to a sermon after lunch. Not really. The Bible says it's slothfulness, so if I see you sleeping, I'll know, I'll know why. But they are as productive as if they slept all day. That's what laziness does. They do not want to do much of anything except gratify their desires. They don't want to work hard and do an honest work. And the consequences, the proverb says here, is that they will suffer hunger. The way God has established it, if you don't work, neither shall you eat. Now, of course, there's exceptions. Like in the United States today, the government will bail you out for the, the slightest excuse you give. But generally speaking, the way things work in life is that if you don't work, then neither shall you eat. God has ordained that you get your food through working. And so that's a warning against laziness. But the lazy person has a hard time even when he does have food. Verse 24, the sluggard buries his hand in the dish and will not even bring it back to his mouth. So the sluggard has food right before him. He'll let his hand fall but doesn't have enough energy to bring his, his hand up to his mouth to eat. Now again, this is a hyperbole and understood exaggeration in order to drive home a point. The point is that the lazy person does not even do the things necessary for himself. It's a warning against letting laziness settle in. A second lesson in life with its consequences is trying to fall in alliteration here. Living or obedience. So verse 16, whoever keeps the commandment keeps his life. He who despises his ways will die. So the proverb here doesn't say which commandment. It just it doesn't even say the commandment. It just says whoever keeps commandment. That this commandment is not specified means that this is simply an obedient person. Whatever legitimate commandment is given to him by one in authority over him, he submits to. And this is someone who keeps his life. This is not someone who's going to lose his life at the hands of the civil authorities, for example, for breaking the law. However, what we see here ultimately is the works principle of the covenant of works. It's do this and live. Keep the commandments if you want to live and not forfeit your life. As Jesus told the rich young ruler when he asked him, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus told him, 
Keep the commandments and you will enter life. You want to enter life, keep the commandments. Of course, he asked which one, and Jesus told him some of them. And the rich young ruler's response is, all these I have kept from my youth. And that should tell you something about ourselves. Uh, we tend to be blind to our own sin. I'm not really that bad. I think I've pretty much kept the commandments. And so Jesus shows him that he hasn't kept, kept the commandments. And how does he do it? He gives him the first commandment, which is, you shall not commit idolatry. Now, did Jesus say that? No, Jesus applied it by saying, sell everything you have and give to the poor and follow me. and You will have treasures in heaven. And what happened? Walked away sad. Why? Because he loved his wealth more than God. And that revealed he's an idolater. It revealed that he has broken the commandments, that he has failed to keep the commandments, and so he cannot enter life. And where does that leave us? That leaves us with the need for somebody else to keep the commandments for us. Things we've been talking about, things we talked about even in Sunday school this morning. We need somebody to do this and live. We need somebody to keep the commandments for us in order to live. And this is something that Christ has done for us. He kept all the commandments. And we, by virtue of being in Him, by virtue of having that perfect obedience counted as our own, we live, we enter life by virtue of being in Christ and having His obedience credited to us. And so this proverb, this works principle, this proverb is ultimately fulfilled in Christ. If we want eternal life, then we rely on another's keeping the commandments in order for us to live. However, he who despises his ways, it says here, that is the ways that are proper for him to walk in, he can care less of how, how he walks, how he lives, that one will die. Death is the consequence of the one who doesn't live obediently, and that is why Christ also took the death penalty for our disobedience. And He has given us a new heart by giving His Spirit in us so that we can begin to keep His commandments, not for life, but from life. And this relates to verse 23. The fear of the Lord leads to life, and whoever has it rests satisfied. He will not be visited by harm. So again, the fear of the Lord is to stand in awe of Him. But we're taking this God seriously. He's the judge to whom every man will give an account. Who will not fear Him? However, the fear of the Lord does not end there. Rather, it continues. According to Psalm 130, the Lord is feared not merely because He judges, but because He forgives. With you there is forgiveness, that you may be feared. And Psalm 147 says that the fear of the Lord is to hope in His steadfast love. To place your confidence, that's what that, that's what that word hope means, to place your confidence in the fact that God loves you. To trust that. That leads to the fear of the Lord, because the fear of the Lord is to stand in awe of Him. To stand in awe that He would give His only begotten Son so that it leads you to draw near to Him. That's what the fear of the Lord does. It leads you to draw near to Him rather than to draw back out of a slavish fear. And this life is manifested in you 
by having God as the object of your worship, delighting in Him, being so affected by His glory that it leads you to worship Him. Even though we will fall short of doing this perfectly. And this leads to resting satisfied. And we're all looking for some sort of satisfaction. We're all looking for some sort of rest. But because you have God as your portion and you see His glory, the eyes of your heart have been enlightened, then you can rest satisfied and content in Him as your treasure rather than looking to the treasures of this world. And notice what else the fear of the Lord brings. The end of the verse says, He will not be visited by harm. The one who fears the Lord will not be visited by harm. You may be wondering, well, how could this possibly be, given the fact that you as a Christian have suffered and are suffering? That Christians throughout history have suffered? Uh, We can think of those Christians uh, during the first century that were fed to lions by the emperor as part of the entertainment while people fought it on. People hated Christians that much that they fed Christians to lions for entertainment. Or we can think of those who were burned at the stake. It is certainly true that being burned at the stake and eaten alive is harm, isn't it? I mean, that's not your idea of a good time. I'm going to be eaten by a lion. Does that mean these Christians didn't fear the Lord? They're willing to give up their life and not deny Christ, even though they were going to be fed to lions and burned at the stake. So, How is this true then, that they won't be visited by harm? Well, when God is for you, when you are his child, God works out all things for your good. As Romans 8.28 says, the painful difficulties you go through are being used by God for your spiritual good. What is meant by that, spiritual good? What is meant by that is that you are being conformed into Christ's image. You are being shaped to look like Him. That God is working through your difficulties and sufferings in order to produce that in you, to conform you into Christ's image so that nothing can ultimately harm you, but rather even the most painful trials are used for your good. A truth that we believe only by faith based on God's Word and not by sight, that is by experience. If we go based on our experience, what we feel, what we see, we won't believe this. But we don't walk by sight. We walk by faith. We trust that God's word is true. And we have a big God. We have a God so big that he works even through suffering to bring about good for us, to conform us further into Christ's image. What's, what would be bad? is to let you just have your sin. Let you have your best life now. As, as Psalm 17 says, this is spoken about the wicked. Psalm 17 says, this is how God punishes the wicked. He lets them enjoy this life. And then when they awake, they wake up to a nightmare when they die. But David goes on to say, as for me, even though I'm suffering, he speaks all about his suffering. Yet when I away from dying. I'll see you and I will be satisfied. And that's why he will go on to say, it was good for me that I was afflicted, that we may draw near to God. 
Uh, a third lesson in life with its consequences is lending. So, so far we've seen laziness, then we've seen living, now third, lending. Verse 17, whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his deed. So I mentioned under the first point that God has ordained in creation that the way to be fed is through working. However, in a fallen, sin-cursed world, there are some people that legitimately can't work. They're born with a certain condition. They get injured in life, preventing them from working. And these are the poor that truly need help. Now, the poor does not refer to the lazy who are refusing to work, uh, such as some who stand on the street corner and hold up a sign. Uh, some of them can make hundreds of dollars a day by just standing there. I still remember a man uh, in Montana when I was living there. And he would go up to some who were standing at a, at a street corner, and he would say, I have some work on the ranch for you to do. If you just come, I will give you a good day's wage. And they said, no, 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 we don't want to do that. Uh, we want to stand here. And so, not to say that everyone who does that is um, being lazy, but uh, those who refuse to work and, and choose an easy route, that is not the poor that the Scripture refers to. But those who are truly poor amidst us are the ones who have had a bad accident and are unable to pay their medical bills and unable to work. It's the mother whose husband has abandoned her and her children, leaving her without income, but unable to work because she has to raise kids. It's the one who is truly going through a misfortune and needs means of support and help in the meantime. We should be looking out for these and truly help them with our money. Not only our money, but also our time, our skills, maybe doing a repair for free, and our resources. Now, it may not seem very rewarding to do this, but as Proverbs says here, that the one who does it is actually doing it to the Lord. As Jesus said to his sheep on the right at the final judgment, whatever you have done to these poor, you have done unto me. And so the proverb says here that it's done unto the Lord, and the Lord will repay that deed. He will recognize and repay you for your deed. In verse 22, what is desired in a man is steadfast love, and a poor man is better than a liar. Now this literally says, desire of a man is his kindness. So it's what's within his heart. It's what he desires to do. That is where his kindness is found. He may not always be able to act on that desire, may not have the power to actually act in kindness, but he has a true desire to act, but not always the ability. However, it is different with some rich who have the ability, but not the desire, which seems to be what the second half of the verse is saying here. This is a liar who claims that he wishes he had the ability to help, but I just can't. But he's just lying. In this case, it is better to be poor than the rich one who lies. This reveals that God is a God who looks at the heart, not the outward appearance. A fourth lesson in life with its consequences is lashing out. Verse 19, a man of great wrath will pay the penalty, for if you deliver him, you will only have to do it again. So a man of great wrath is someone who's lost control. So much so that he does not learn from his consequences. Even though he pays the penalty, whether it's from the civil authorities, such as fine or jail time, or 
being sued or losing and ruining relationships, he still will not learn. If you deliver him from his penalty by paying the fine or bailing him out, you will just have to do it again. He is beyond the point of learning from his consequences. What he needs is the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit. And so we should be praying towards that end for this person if we know someone like this. Then verse 26. He who does violence to his mother, or sorry, his father, and chases away his mother is a son who brings shame and reproach. It is particularly egregious to do violence to those in authority, especially to parents who have devoted their life to taking care of us during our most vulnerable and formidable times in our life. And so a son who is violent towards his parents is one who brings nothing but consequences of shame and reproach on himself and also the family name. A fifth and final lesson with its consequences is learning. And it starts at the earliest age of ages. Verse 18, discipline your son, for there is hope. Do not set your heart on putting him to death. So we see here that parents are encouraged to discipline their children from an early age during their most formidable years while there is still hope, as our verse says. Discipline is correcting your kids through consequences. It is not to be done out of anger, as if it's about pleasing us, like you're inconveniencing me, so I will lash out now, uh, but rather out of love for them. And the implication of not doing this is stated ironically here, where it says, do not set your heart on putting him to death. The implication here is that if you do not discipline your children, you desire their death. Not to say that you actively are seeking to kill them, but it's in the sense of you don't care that they're going down a a path that's going to lead to death. But if you do not discipline, you do desire them to stray down that path. And it may not seem loving when you inflict a reasonable, godly pain through consequences on them, but it is for their good. We go from giving correction to receiving it. Verse 20. Listen to advice and accept instruction that you may gain wisdom in the future. How many times have we seen this in Proverbs? Listen to what others are saying. Don't think that your perspective is the right one. Oftentimes, we do think that, don't we? Well, if this person just understood my perspective and my point of view and would just listen to what I think, everything would be fine. But Proverbs is saying that we should doubt our thoughts and our understanding more than the thoughts and understanding of others, especially when they're removed from our situation. See, when we're in a situation, we kind of get wrapped up in our idolatry. We don't want to hear criticism, especially when it comes to something that's really valuable in our life. We don't want to hear anything bad about that. And somebody from the outside who's not emotionally invested can just look at that and say, here's the issue. Here's what you shouldn't do. Here's what you should do. And so we should be listening to others and hearing correction. The end result of this, generally speaking, is not being led astray, but wisdom, as the proverb says here. And we read in verse 27, Cease to hear instruction, my son, and you will stray from the words of knowledge. 
This proverb is speaking in irony. You want to stray? Here's how to do it. Stop listening to instruction. Believe that you know it all. And somewhat related to this is humbly learning to submit to God's providence. In verse 21, many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. This is an important lesson that we have to learn in life. We have many plans, and it's not bad to plan. But whose plan is going to come to fruition? Only the Lord's. And if our plans don't come to fruition, you know what that means? It wasn't the best course of action. I've come to find in my life that there's a great disappointment that happened. And I had these plans, and they did not come to fruition. And it was disappointing. But then later on, looking back at that, I realized that was actually the best course of action. I don't know what, I forget who said this, but providence needs to be interpreted the same way Hebrew is, reading backwards. And a lot of times we look back and say, you know what? That was actually, that was actually good. Now this word for plan here in verse 21 can also have a negative connotation. It can mean crafty devices. It's a word where context determines meaning. So in this case, it could mean evil men who have evil plans. They have many of them in their mind. But even in this, God's purposes will stand. Man can never thwart God. If their evil comes to fruition, it's only because it's in the providence of God. And God is working out His plan. And He will use it for good for His children but he will also stand in his purpose to bring judgment upon the wicked. And this brings us to the final verses related to God's judgment, starting with verse 25. Strike a scoffer, and the simple will learn prudence. Reprove a wise man, or reprove a man of understanding, and he will gain knowledge. So remember the difference between a scoffer and a simple person. A scoffer is set in his foolishness. A simple person can go either way. A scoffer is someone who's hardened in his sin and has rejected the Lord. A simple person is someone who lacks wisdom but can still learn it. Well, here we see that to strike a scoffer, to punish him, he doesn't learn, but the simple one learns. The simple one goes, ah, I've learned from the consequences of others to be more careful. However, our verse goes on to say that when it comes to one who has wisdom or understanding, all you need to do is reprove him. Correct him with words and not the rod of punishments, and he will grow in wisdom. He will receive it. Then verse 28, a worthless witness scoffs at justice, and the mouth of the wicked devours iniquity. So a witness is someone in a court of law who bears false witness, or this, this evil witness, and does not care to tell the truth. In so doing, he scoffs at justice. He mocks it, and he eats a steady diet of iniquity. But the Lord will get the final word. Verse 29, condemnation is ready for scoffers and beating for the backs of fools. So whereas a worthless person scoffs at judgment, judgment is prepared for scoffers. The judgment that scoffers scoff at will turn against them. God is a God of justice who will by no means clear the guilty. He is infinite in knowledge so that no sin escapes his sight. 
is infinite in power so that no sinner can escape his judgment. These scoffers who refuse to repent will learn that it is a terrible thing to fall into the hands of the living God. So may we be comforted by this as we see the wickedness in this world that seems to go unpunished. They may scoff at His justice and truth and suppress the truth and unrighteousness. We may feel suffering at the hands of them, but judgment is reserved for them, God says. He will repay. But may we also be comforted that this God of justice took our judgment for us. We are no different than any sinner in this world. And but for the grace of God, we would be joining them. And because of the grace of God, such were some of us. But we were cleansed and washed in the blood of Christ, justified in His name, declared righteous, having Christ's perfect righteousness credited to us. And so, as Jude 21 says, when Christ comes back, we are waiting not for His judgment, but as Jude 21 says, for His mercy. It is not judgment that is prepared for us, but rather the kingdom that has no end because all the judgment of God has been taken in full by our Lord who stood condemned in our place. So we who believe will not hear, depart from me, you workers of iniquity, although that is what we would deserve. But rather we will hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. And may this then motivate us to live in wisdom for this good master who has redeemed us by his precious blood. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we do thank you for your word. We, help, we ask that you would help us to apply these Proverbs to our life by the power of your spirit, knowing that all the wisdom we have is found in Christ, that this is ours, and we need help to apply it and to walk in it. Would you help us, please, God? We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. You have been listening to a message from Trinity Bible Church in Powell, Wyoming. To receive more information about Trinity Bible Church or to support the ministry, go to tbcwyoming.com. That is tbcwyoming.com.